Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. This is day number two, part number two of our series, New Ideas for the New Year. Uh, we have a new year upon us, right? 2024, a brand new season of the podcast, season number seven of the show. And so we're going eight days, eight new episodes to kick off the new year and to kick off a new season of the show. So this is part two of the series, episode number 272 of the show. And today we're talking to Neil Douglas Klotz. He wrote a book called Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus, the Hidden Teachings on Life and Death. And so yesterday we talked to Stephanie Caponi about astrology, some new ideas there. Uh, We dove into the stars, right? Today we're talking to Neil diving into Jesus, into the Bible, into the Aramaic language. Why? Right? Like, wasn't the Bible written in Greek and Hebrew? Right? Aren't those the native languages? Yes. But Aramaic, uh, as Neil will talk to us about, is the native tongue of Jesus. And so there's an interesting thing that happens when you start thinking about these Greek texts that we have in the New Testament and looking at them through an Aramaic lens. And that short statement I just gave you does not do this book any justice at all. (laughs) So forget my explanation and listen to Neil. This is a really interesting, interesting book. And I say this in the episode, but this book, when I got it, it's not like a super long book, so I thought I could read this really quick. Friends, to make it through like two pages of this book, it is so packed with information. Not that it's like this really heady, deep information, but it's deep in the sense of it's heartfelt. And it makes you stop in your tracks and really have to meditate and think upon the stuff that he's sharing in this book. Uh, It's so good. He goes through the Lord's Prayer. He goes through the Beatitudes. and He looks at it through this Aramaic lens. And the interesting thing about Aramaic, he talks about this in the show, is that there's no like one explanation for a lot of uh, words and like a lot of sentences, a lot of these verses, uh, we we like we in our Western world we like to have like well this is what this verse says this is what it means not so much <laughs> in Aramaic there's multiple meanings to these words multiple meanings when you put these different words together and so there really isn't just one meaning of a lot of these words of Jesus and again. I probably didn't explain that super great, but Neil <laughs> Neil does a much better job. This book is like his life's work, and he's put it into this book, and it is fantastic. Uh, his work was introduced to me by our friend Alexander John Shia, and I was like, anything that Alexander recommends, it's good good enough for me. <laughs> so I picked up the book, reached out to him, and uh, they they kind of know each other, and so we got connected, and we did this. And he's going to be coming back on the show probably sometime next year or maybe the year after. Uh, to talk some more about these different things. But he has opened my eyes to so much, and uh, I highly recommend this book for the new year. Uh, If you want to read something on a more like devotional kind of level, where you read like a little bit of this every single day, this is the book for you, uh, because this book will definitely uh, be something that will accompany you on that sort of a a journey. So I'm going to put the link to Neil, to his books uh, in the show notes, also in the show notes, my books, Rethinking Everything, Emerging from the Rubble, Patreon if you want to support the show. It's all in there. Go visit the show notes, click around in the links, 
and have a good time. But for now, episode 272 with Neil Douglas Clock's Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with a brand new guest, someone whose work I am only uh, recently familiar with, but I'm already falling in love with it. His name is Neil Douglas Klotz, and he's joining us today from Scotland to talk about his book, Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus, The Hidden Teachings on Life and Death. And so Neil, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to share this space and this time with you. Thanks, Glenn. Glad to be here. Thank you. So before we jump into the book, uh, since you're new to the podcast and likely new to some of our listeners, can you take a few moments to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, some of the highlights of your own journey? Briefly. Briefly. <laughs> Pack it all in. <laughs> Pack it all in. Well, as, as one of the comedians used to say, I began as a child. But, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> way back when. <laughs> way back when. No, but my, my folks um, were raised Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, so my brothers and I were raised Christian, um, Missouri Synod Lutheran, actually, if some of your new th uh, listeners know what that is. Mm -hmm. But they are also into many alternative things, alternative health. My mm -hmm. father was an early chiropractor in Illinois, which is where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, they were also very much engaged with Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, organic gardening, all of mm -hmm. that. We had a, quite a large organic garden stroke farm on a property that we just sort of took over next to us before it was built up with homes. Anyway, mm -hmm. but long story short, and then they were also interested in Edgar Casey, in case some of your listeners have heard of him, mm -hmm. uh, the American psychic. Mm -hmm. So that plus the Bible stories yeah. was my upbringing. So it was chiropractic, Car Rachel Carson, and Edgar Casey, mm -hmm. plus Bible. Um, <laughs> And, but I went to Missouri St. Lutheran schools and learned the King James Bible, large parts of it by heart, which one has to do if one goes through these uh, schooling and learn yeah. Lutheran small catechism by heart. Mm. So I was steeped in, you could say, very much uh, at that time, what was a very different sort of fundamentalist view than what it is now. It still had elements mm -hmm. that are present today but it didn't have the political dimension, you could yeah. say, that has taken over some of fundamentalist Christian uh, ideology today. But be that as it may, mm -hmm. uh, when I be went to university, I went as far away from Christianity as I could. <laughs> as you can imagine, many people, many people of my age do or did. Oh, this was yeah. in the 19, early 1970s, not to betray my age. <laughs> uh, and I became a journalist. I became a writer. I wanted to change the world. I became an investigative reporter after graduating and worked in New York City and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, but I always had a feeling for Jesus. I had a feeling in my heart that the Jesus that I was learning about, even from Luther, 
was there was something more. It wasn't so much that what Luther and the Bible said was wrong. It was more that there was there was another dimension. And later when I came, you know, sort of in the latter part of my early journalistic career, Mm -hmm. I began to investigate uh, various languages. Uh, And you could say, why did you do that? Well, I had grown up hearing different languages. Mm. I had grown up hearing some German. I was bilingual already by the time I got to university. Um, English, German. I heard Polish. I heard Yiddish. I heard some Mm. Russian in my family. It was an immigrant family uh, from Chicago, basically, Mm -hmm. on both sides. So there, there was this background. I thought, well, language, you know, how hard can it be? So I was I was directed in this direction by uh, an editing job I was doing on an American Sufi of all things, mm. and he had said two things he wanted to do before he died, and one of which was to learn to pray the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, mm. and he had not done that. Uh, and I be that that struck me. That was a moment, mm. you know. Often one has these moments in one's life that you don't think it's going to be a turning point, but it turns out to be a turning point. Sort of things lit up around yeah. this particular saying. So yeah. I began to investigate Aramaic, Aramaic, who know, who, what's Aramaic, who, who knows what that is. I, I knew from doing brief research that Aramaic was Jesus's native language. It was the language he would have spoken in. All yeah. scholars agreed on that. Yeah. Uh, but then there's a question of, of texts, of sources. Where does one find an Aramaic version of the Lord's Prayer, say. And that took some more work. Mm. Uh, But long story short, I discovered that there was an existing branch of Christianity that still prayed uh, the prayer, Jesus's prayer in Aramaic, uh, with various dialects. And then it, that's like a rabbit hole. So, you know, I began began first with my own inner feeling. I thought, well, okay, let me just pray this prayer and feel the sounds as best as I can feel them. I had learned a bit of Arabic at the time and a bit of Hebrew. Mm. So I figured, well, I'll just triangulate those and Aramaic can't be that different. So I began to pray the <laughs> prayer and I had very deep, you could say interior experiences, inner prayer experiences. And uh, I went to work for a guy by the name of Matthew Fox, whom mm-hmm. some of your listeners may have heard of. Yeah, could say one of the mainstays, if not the founder of creation spirituality. Yeah. And I worked in his university for a while, and Matt encouraged me along this direction with Aramaic. Hmm. So long story short, and I was trying to be brief, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's 70 plus years of life experience here, Glenn. So, you know, I, I researched Aramaic in a scholarly way, yeah. uh, and I found out that even that wasn't enough. Hmm. Uh, I researched at the same time what ancient Hebrew ancient Aramaic and also ancient classical Arabic would have sounded like, and more importantly, what their view of the world was. Yeah. How was their worldview of these languages different mm. than our current worldview? Mm. And I entered the scholarly world uh, through the Society of Biblical Literature, the American Academy of Religion. I became the co-chair of the mysticism group of mm. the American Academy of Religion for almost a decade. But what I discovered was that scholars were still looking back at these texts, Mm -hmm. including the Greek text, with a modern worldview. Mm. And that that was the key moment where I discovered, okay, what I'll do is I'll go get a PhD 
in hermeneutics, which mm. is some, if you probably know this, if you went through seminary, hermeneutics is the study of interpretation theory yeah. through the ages. Yeah. So I took a, did my dissertation in uh, the ancient, the hermeneutics of ancient Semitic languages, Semitic wow. meaning those that are root-based in the Semitic stream, ancient Hebrew, we could say classical Aramaic, the or and the Aramaic, the first century, century Palestinian Aramaic that Jesus would have spoken, and then wow. on into the Quran, which is sixth century Arabic, which wow. is also quite different. And I discovered quite, you know, quite wide similarities in the way that the roots were rendered or yeah. could be rendered. But I'll I'll wait for a moment and go into that later. So yeah. that's that that can form part of some of our later discussion. Yeah. <laughs> What I love about it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that a lot of what, like you grew up in this interesting world with these different angles of, of faith. And then you talked about going to college and kind of moving away from Christianity, but you still had this sense that Jesus was important, but perhaps even more important than you were led to believe in your upbringing. And I feel like for me, that's one of the things that has kept me here because I moved away, I would say, from like the Christian faith of my upbringing for a while because I grew up in a very fundamentalist evangelical world. A lot of the politics was mixed into it that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And I was like, I have to get away from this. But as I moved away from it, I'm like, Jesus is still very interesting to me. And I feel like there's something about the Bible and there's something about Jesus. Like there's got to be more to it than all of this stuff than taking all these random verses and piecing together these systematic theologies that I studied over and yep. over again. And suddenly there's got to be something more. And so when I'm turned on to people like, like Matthew Fox has been on the show before people, even like Elaine Pagels has really some uh -huh. really interesting uh, points of view. People like Alexander Shia, who, you know, like these people helped unearth something from like, ah, oh, there is a whole nother layer of things here that if I just do a little bit of digging, I can find different roots of the Christian faith that might feel more uh, yeah. applicable to me where I am in my life. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so your absolutely. book, uh, Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus. Uh, let's start with just talking about like an overview of this book. Somebody goes to the bookstore, they pick up this book, they bring it sure. home. What can they expect? Who's it for? What's it about? The the elevator pitch <laughs> for your book. <laughs> <laughs> well, the elevator pitch is that this collects 40 years of my work in this area. Yeah. So in, in some ways, it's uh, an encapsulation mm -hmm. of all the work that I've done in individual books previously mm -hmm. on, for instance, the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes in Matthew, Beatitudes in Luke, uh, the whole Gospel of John, which was subject of a, a long audio uh, series that I did for Sounds True, and I did several for them. Mm. Uh, and particularly this book, The Hidden Gospel, which picks out, okay, what were the main key words that Jesus used? And if I were going to just learn a half a dozen things, of his key words, what yeah. would I need to know to read the Bible differently? Mm. Uh, and uh, Hidden Gospel, I still think is, is a very excellent work. Yeah. But, you know, I'm pushing 72 now, and I felt, you know, okay, I need to gather everything together yeah. and see it, try to see it from a, a, a much wider picture. You could take, take, a, take a step above or take a step wider and look at whole Jesus's whole ministry. Yeah from the point of view of the different gospels, the different witnesses, 
and what do they have in common? What Jesus do they reveal? Yeah. And I had been convinced of this for quite a while, Glenn, that uh, no matter which gospel you look at, and mm -hmm. historical Jesus people divide them up, well, there's the Jesus in Matthew and the Jesus in Gospel of Thomas and the Jesus in John, and they're mm -hmm. different Jesuses. Well, they're not. Mm. They're the, for, viewed from his native language, it's the same Jesus. Yeah. Using words differently for different audiences and for different purposes, and different people remember things differently. Yeah. Go figure. Right. <laughs> Shocker. Mean, well, no, I mean, really. So yeah. it's rather than one of the basic presumptions of historical Jesus researchers is that, well, if he said it more than one time, it must be more true. Right. How? Why? Mm. Is that even logical? Mm. In the ancient world, where memory was much more important than written texts, yeah. how, how is that? You know, but still you're going to have different communities remember different things yeah. because they they got it differently. Yeah. Same as if you go to a talk or lecture now, although our memory, modern memory is much more shoddy. But, <laughs> you know, in those days, uh, people took things to heart differently. So you had different branches of what I call the Jesus movement and what other scholars call the Jesus movement. Many different branches, more than we have Gospels now. Mm -hmm. And that is an historical fact. Yeah. So anyway, this book, it's, hopefully it's a long elevator ride, but <laughs> this book collects 40 years of my work in this area. There's a whole chapter on the Lord's Prayer, yep. a chapter each on the Beatitudes. Half of the book is on the Gospel of John, which is extremely important for understanding Yeshua, Jesus in Aramaic. Yep. Yep. And then I take up certain problematic passages, or what are usually problem passages, for yep. various people that I hear in my talks, in my retreats. And I decided just to address those. That, that, that part of the book could have been much longer, but mm -hmm. you could say, okay, well, there's all sorts of strange stuff <laughs> that Jesus seems to say. Does the Aramaic clarify these? And as you can imagine, my answer is yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I, I want to point out to our listeners is this book is not a fast read. Because no. I, for me, I picked up the book thinking, oh, I, I just opened it up and I flipped through. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could read this in a, like a week and a half. And I got to like page five or however long I was, I was only, I was already in it for a week. I'm like, I, this is, there's so much information here, but that makes sense because you said it's 40 years really of research it's and things years. you've been pondering and living through your own life into this book. And so for our listeners, uh, you have to take your time with it. So for me, I'm not even done with it yet. I'm just taking like piece by piece, maybe like one, one a day, one every other day, just kind of using that to meditate on and things like that, because you take yep. apart these pieces like the Lord's Prayer, the Beatitudes, and you take us into the Aramaic language word by word and kind of show us what these things are. And it's fascinating. So I am hooked. I am hooked. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I try to intersperse at various points to slow people down even more <laughs> yep. with these contemplations. You could call them contemplative prayer or centering yep. prayer, if you will. I call it body prayer sometimes, yeah. according to what so Matt Fox used, term uses, but it doesn't matter. Yep. They're contemplations. Aramaic yeah. only has one word that means contemplation or meditation or prayer. Mm -hmm. It's all the same word. Yeah. There aren't different words. Yeah. So. All right. So let's begin uh, with this word. Aramaic, because uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I, like I said before, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, I have a couple of different degrees in seminary, and really, although Aramaic was was mentioned here and there, it was for the most part, we were taught, you know, the New Testament's written in Greek, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, so if you can just grasp those two languages a little bit, like you're set to go, you pretty much understand Jesus yeah. and all the different things. 
So Aramaic, though, like I left seminary with this idea that some of the New Testament might have been translated from Greek to Aramaic at some yeah. point. That's that's what I was, that's the idea that I left with. But we don't really need to know much about it because it wasn't so much original to the text in, in very many ways. So maybe you can debunk that a little bit for us. I think a lot of our listeners probably have that idea as well. And you have this quote in the book that I, I wanted to read. I, I have it over here. Um, you say, Aramaic Christian scholars offer evidence that the earliest Greek versions of the four Gospels contain various Aramaic words and idioms transcribed into Greek letters. The earliest Aramaic versions contain no Greek expression. So what does that mean? Like, what were, were the original manuscripts written in Aramaic? Were they written in Greek? Do we not know? Uh, you said Jesus was speaking Aramaic. So why does all this stuff matter? At the end of the day in 2023. <laughs> ah, yes. Well, let's start with the point you raised, yeah. which is that as a translator, mm -hmm. um, if you have a source text that, a supposed source text that has a lot of uh, foreign expressions in it, mm -hmm. then you would have to ask at least two questions. Uh, what was the source of that text that you're using? So what was the source of the Greek text where mm -hmm. they drew the Aramaic from? Mm -hmm. But the second point is even more important. And this, and this, is, this is an elementary translation sort of issue. Mm -hmm. uh, scholars should have noticed this before now. They have noticed it, that the Greek text contains expressions like ethphata, when Jesus heals someone. It contains the expression talita kumi when he raises the young girl. Mm. Um, I think Jairus's daughter is mm -hmm. who it's described as. Mm. Uh, various words, the main, in particular, one of the words on the cross, the say, sayings on the cross is in Aramaic, yeah. which is largely mistranslated directly. Mm. Uh, this is the one usually translated as, My God, my God, why have, have you forsaken me? It's one of the big problem passages actually in Christian theology. You have to do all sorts of theological backflips to make sense of that yeah. uh, and other sayings. Mm -hmm. Whereas, as I mentioned in the book, uh, and this is Aramaic Christians, Aramaic speaking Christians, who there are today, there are various branches of them in the world today, they point out, well, look, you know, you know, there's no Greek in the Aramaic text. Who's speaking mm -hmm. Greek here? Nobody's <laughs> speaking Greek. <laughs> Anyway, the, the second point is even more important. When or if Jesus said it, he said it in Aramaic. Mm. When or if Jesus said it, he said it in Aramaic. No one that I've come across in the scholarly world questions this. Mm. And they say, but we, all, but we only have the Greek text. Well, recently, uh, an early, early Aramaic text was discovered in the Sinai, Sinai in the last half a year that moves the oldest physical text closer and closer to the oldest Greek text. Mm. I mean, the one that's sitting in the Smithsonian is maybe a, the Aramaic text is maybe a hundred years newer than the oldest Greek text. Mm. But if you go to Aramaic Christians and Aramaic Christian scholars, of which there are a number, they will say, well, we did not have a mentality where we needed to keep old texts as relics. Mm. We would faithfully recopy the text, check it, and then ritually burn the old text be, before it became too frayed or too old to use. Mm. So it's not about physical texts. Mm. Uh, the Aramaic Christians go on to say, well, we had these, we had Aramaic texts, an Aramaic version of the Bible in our homes for a thousand years 
before you Western Christians were even allowed to own a Bible. And if you're, you know, if your audience knows anything about Christian history, before the Protestant, uh, you could say revolution, if you want to call it that, uh, it was illegal to own a Bible for the for the laity for the common people, mm. only priests could could possess a physical copy of the Bible. Uh, it was a, actually a, in many countries, uh, a crime punishable by death if you were found to have a Bible, even mm. if you're a Christian. Mm. So the advent of the printing press, all the, you know, Protestantism, the Reformation, this changed all that. But when is that happening? That's happening in the 1500s, friends. Mm. So the Aramaic Christians say, well, for over a thousand years before then, we were using these texts, we were using them in our homes, we all had them, and when they got too old, we had them recopied, ritually burned them, and, and carried on. Yeah. So, but, you know, even more important is mm. the point I raised earlier, when or if Jesus said it, he said it in Aramaic, and Aramaic is a very, very different language from the way we look at the world now. It's not only different from Greek. Mm -hmm. Because there are some similarities with Greek that I found out, and I pointed out in the new book. Yeah. But it really has more to do with the worldview of the, of the ancient worldview and how certain key points, key words are translated. All right, so let's, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Like somebody listening might be thinking, like, what is Aramaic and Greek? Like, who, who cares? That might be their thought is how do, how do these two things differ? Because I have an idea of the answer because I read this part of, of your book. You talk yeah. a lot about it in the beginning of the book. But for our listeners who haven't read the book, like, why wouldn't, trying to think of a question somebody might ask, like, why wouldn't translations be the same if we're just doing a word-by-word -word translation of the text? Like, why does Aramaic bring out these hidden teachings to borrow from the subtitle that we might not clearly see in Greek or obviously in, in our English Bibles that we have on our shelves? Well, again, Glenn, there are two factors here. Mm -hmm. um, first, as I pointed out in all of my books, mm -hmm. the ancient Semitic languages including Aramaic, are built on a root and pattern system. Mm -hmm. That is, each individual letter has a meaning, a feeling, and according to some, each individual letter is like a living being. It's mm -hmm. like a word spoken by the Creator in Genesis 1, where God speaks the universe into existence. Mm -hmm. So the letters were considered not just as things that sit in our hearing or memory, or on a page or a manuscript or a palette, you could say a scroll, mm -hmm. but the words, the words themselves are expressions of the divine. Mm. When they come through a prophet or when they're given in a prophet, prophetic or visionary sense. Yeah. So these individual letters combine into twos and threes and otherwise, and you have various ways to read them. That means one word can be read on various levels. Mm. Example. The same word that means spirit also means breath. Mm -hmm. This is the one I usually go to first. You know, if your listeners want to change their way of looking at uh, the Bible, at the sayings of Jesus, the Gospels, just, you know, pencil in the word breath everywhere the translation says spirit, because mm. it's the same word in Aramaic. Mm. There aren't two words. Now, what does that mean? Which is it, spirit or is it breath? Is it like spirit everywhere, Holy Spirit, or is it my breath? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the answer is it's both. Yeah. It's both. Mm. There is no separation from my breath with, the, you could say, the divine breath, sacred breath, Rucha de Kutcha. Yeah. The only separation is the separation I make by myself feeling separate from it. Mm. The only separation is what I 
You get the screen I put in front of myself to think only I exist and only I am important. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. So this is, these things are re-emphasized all the way down. If you drill down into the Aramaic, there's only one preposition. You know, a preposition is like uh, between you and me, the word mm -hmm. between, mm -hmm. or inside of me. I feel this inside of me. Well, in Aramaic, it's the same word for inside, within me, and between you and me, among us. You could say it's the same, the within and the among are, is the same preposition. Yeah. So when Yeshua, Jesus, is said to have said the kingdom of heaven is within you, or the kingdom of heaven is among you, and scholar, historical Jesus people make all sorts of hash about that, <laughs> um, he said the same thing both times. He had mm -hmm. to say the same thing both times. He only had one preposition he could have used. Yeah. Now, how do we know Yeshua, Jesus, spoke Aramaic? Because all of his listeners only understood Aramaic, or 99% of them only understood Aramaic. Hmm. Uh, Greek would have been understood by only a few people at his time, mostly those who collaborated with the upper class, with the Romans, with the people that the Romans had placed in charge of the temple or the various, you know, the courts of the various Herods in the different provinces, uh, and Latin even less. Hmm. So 90% of Jesus' listeners were all poor underclass people. They only would have understood things in Aramaic. Yeah. Wow. It seems like, I mean, it seems to me like the Aramaic language then has like an endless amount of nuance to it, right? Because I mean, depending on that, you said like the sound, because every every letter has its own meaning and yes. the sound. But then if you start merging different letters together, Correct. create different sounds with other words to create different sounds, like you can just, the meanings can just expand and evolve from there. Is yeah, that a, is that a good way to put it? Or yeah, no, that's a perfect way to put it, Glenn. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew, the Jewish tradition knows this quite well, mm -hmm. and it's the basis of midrash. If mm -hmm. you studied any of this it, seminary, uh, midrash or midrash, mm -hmm. um, different the different ways of interpreting the scriptures, mm -hmm. and of course, you know you can interpret them in a more outer way, sure. and you can interpret them in a more inner way, or you can do a both and. Yeah. And different Jewish groups, scholars do different things. There's, of course, the formal Midrash with a capital M, which was written down. Mm -hmm. You know, the early rabbis have their have their Midrashim on various, uh, you know, elements of the scriptures. But then there's also this informal, the small M Midrash, which continues today as a tradition. Mm. Also in the Arabic language tradition of the Quran. Uh, Sufis interpret the Arabic of the Quran quite differently mm -hmm. than, say, fundamentalist Muslims do. Mm. It allows for both. Mm. It depends on what other influences are there. Yeah. And here we come to these other influences and why we don't have, let's say, one agreed upon, so to speak, literal translation of these texts, because these other screens, these other influences can include big breath, um, empire, mm -hmm. politics, um, hierarchy, mm -hmm. uh, consolidations of power in various organizational structures, yeah. whether they're church or empire or other sorts of things. And that leads to a limiting of the meaning. Yeah. Let's keep it simple. Mm. Let's try to get a creed 
that everyone can sign up to like a mission statement of a corporation and we'll all get behind this one formulation of what the scriptures are going to mean to us. If you look in Acts, and I'm sure some of your listeners have, and I point this out toward the end of the book, uh, what you find in Acts, you don't find any profound, complex ideas about Jesus at all. You have the early disciples, Peter and others, offering a, an experience of the Rucha de Kutcha, that is the sacred breath that they received through Yeshua. Mm. Other traditions call this a transmission. They offer a direct transmission of his spirit, of his breath. And they say, we got it from this guy, Yeshua, and we can give it to you. Yeah. And they do. Mm. And you don't find any you could say, theological ideas about uh, Jesus, at least in the early part of Acts, none of this comes about. So it really can flip the whole way of looking at the scriptures on its head, if you will. I I guess it really, I would think it really like flips how we would understand the, like the gospel on on its head too, right? Because one of the things I I remember reading in the, in the book is that, um, Aramaic, like you said, being a, a Semitic language, sort of, and I could be using the wrong terminology here, so correct me if I am wrong, but it almost erases dualities and brings things together, right? Like you talked about, I think, in the book about how past, present, and future are often molded into one being as opposed to separate, yeah. and same kind of thing with light and darkness as soon as, as one and the same. So like, I'm wondering, what does that elimination of dualities do in regards to the gospel? Because way I was raised to read the scriptures, what I was told about the gospel is that it's, you know, it's truth against lies. It's good against bad. It's light against darkness, flesh against spirit. And Jesus came to kind of squash all of those really bad things and hold up the positive things. So like if we erase those dualities, if we start bringing things together more like unity and unifying, what does that do to the gospel in particular? Because that's the gospel in a lot of churches in North America is you know it's victory over the darkness kind of thing sure whereas this aramaic language is really bringing those things together so what are your thoughts on that if you have any (laughs) no it's a great question glenn it's a very good question Mm. and let me give you because this the considered answer it really requires Mm. um it does not erase all dualities Mm. but it views them differently yes instead of two poles over here separated good and evil What you have are polarities, Mm -hmm. which means that there's a field in between them. And Mm -hmm. I go into some of this at the beginning of the book, which sort of goes over people's heads, but it's it's very (laughs) important. And I reaffirm this throughout the book. Mm -hmm. So you have, instead of good and evil, you have ripeness and unripeness. Tub and bisha. Tub Mm -hmm. is the word that's usually translated good or Mm -hmm. forms of it as blessed. And bisha... I forgot which hand I'm on. Anyway, <laughs> I'm getting confused with the Zoom. The Bisha is unripeness, yeah. that which is not ripe or that which is overly ripe. Mm-hmm. So we, we still have choices in life. We have choices okay. to do that which is ripe, appropriate for our heart, for our soul, for our connection to the divine. Or we have choices not to do that. Yeah. As a human, as an individual, as a human species, we have choices to make. Hmm. And Jesus, you know, mentions this throughout the Gospels. This is why you can't say it eliminates all dualities or all choices or just hmm. new says, well, it's all relative. This yeah. is not moral relativism, hmm. not at all. Hmm. But it it re-empowers us to connect ourselves to, you could say, the bigger breath, yeah. uha, 
the kutcha, mm. and then make choices from there. Mm. Hmm. This is very important. So again, another word your your listeners can look at again is the word these ripe these good and evil words in the in the gospels, mm. and just write ripe and unripe over them. Mm. It doesn't say there isn't unripeness. There is, and some things are still growing. They're still becoming ripe at the right time, at the right place. And some things are way past it. We could say they're past their sell-by date using British language. (laughs) You know, it's like, hey, time for the compost for this behavior in my life or in our life as a community, as a culture, whatever. Yeah. So the the dualities then still exist, but they They exist in a certain, they exist in a field where there is a, you could say there's a middle point where one can feel them both. Okay. And where is this middle point? It's right here in the heart, in what Jesus mm. calls lebha. This is what mediates between our life here and now, in this dimension. I'm sh- trying to yeah. do a circle here. Sure. And our life, you could say, connecting above and beneath us to that which is much bigger than us, this bigger breath, soul. Uh, you could say the, the part of us that is, that is infinite soul, if you yeah. will. And, and those... Both of those polarities, both of those sides are contained within the breath. Correct. And so it's our job as human beings, Mm -hmm. according to Yeshua, to sort of to live in the middle and to always be checking in with our soul. I'm using the word soul here just for ease of use. It's what I use in the book. Some people translate it as capital S self. Mm -hmm. I won't argue about the English words. Jesus calls it rucha. Mm -hmm. It's the big breath of which my smaller breath in this body in this flesh is a part it is a part of that Mm -hmm. so we cannot exclude our individual life our individual choices that we make here from this breath it's just that we need to come from a different place and you know clear some of the blinders that we have to the fact that we are really an infinite soul in a body clear some of the blinders to that so yeah. that we can live appropriately. Okay. So can we look at can we look at maybe uh, maybe a piece of the Lord's Prayer as an example sure. to all of this? Because that was one of the first scriptures I memorized as a kid. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, et cetera, et cetera. And I used to recite it every night, you know, before before bed. And I, I would say it throughout the day when we were in school and things like that. So can you take us into that prayer um a little bit, give our listeners like a taste of of what they're going to find in this book because assuming the prayer was first spoken by Jesus in Aramaic or written in Aramaic, much of what we see in our English language is barely going to scratch the surface. Like we've been talking about of, of really the depth of that prayer, because we've gone from Aramaic to Greek to English. And I'm sure there's lots of other stops and things like that yeah, in between. Sure. So I'm sure there's some important things lost in translation. So I give you the mic, whatever part of the prayer you'd like to take us into <laughs> Uh, go for it. <laughs> yeah, now I was, I was considering that because I knew we were going to talk about this. But yeah, I, I was the same. I learned the, that was the first thing I learned yeah. by heart uh, was was the Lord's Prayer, King James King James English, all of that. Yeah, I still know it quite very well. Yeah. But now I know the Aramaic better. Well, <laughs> the, let me say first, as just what readers will find of all of my books is that some some things there are more things where we have. The King James is a limited, a very limited translation. Mm-hmm. The Aramaic offers a wider spectrum of meaning that yeah. includes our individual life and our communal life at the same time. There are some things that are clear mistranslations. Mm-hmm. According to Aramaic Christian scholars, according to my research as well, 
Um, our Father which art in heaven, Avun Debashmaya, Avun Debashmaya. This Avun is more of a process, it's more of an activity than a being sitting somewhere. Mm. I'll just say, I'll mm. leave it at that since we have limited time. Mm. This Avun is this process of the breath coming into me every moment, just as the breath comes into humanity in Genesis 1. It's, this is happening now. Creation is not a long time ago at the so-called Big Bang or whatever the newest theory is. It's happening now. Mm. Now, now, now. And then this spreads out around us. When we connect that way, we mm. can see the universe around us, nature, each other, with, you could say, a different view, with new eyes. We can see it as unfolding realms of light of Shem, Avun Devashemaya, Nitkadeshemuch, hallowed be thy name. Nitkadesh, yeah. uh, make space, let there be space for this Shem, for this vibration, you could say, this feeling of connection. Mm. Connecting to the bigger breath, connecting to Allah, which is what Jesus calls God. Hmm. Tete mal kuta, usually translated thy kingdom come. Tete is come, it's more of an emphatic form, it's like come come, and malkuta is feminine gendered in Aramaic, as it is in Greek actually. You might wonder how they got kingdom out of all of that. Hmm. Um, I'll leave that question aside, it's probably addressed in some of your other podcasts. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of feminine gendered words, even in Greek, end up masculine in translations. Yeah. Enough said. Mm. Uh, let your I can, your vision and empowerment come now. Mm. So open my eyes, open my ears, open my senses, mm. so that I, I, feel not, I feel not only a different vision of my life or my surroundings, but I'm able to act on it. Yeah. And then you could see the, the breath, speaking of breath, although the breath is not mentioned so far, is gradually coming more deeply into life. And finally, it enters the heart. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, mm. you know, let's just say is more like heart. Let your desire of your heart, your meaning Allah, meaning God, the Aramaic word for God is Allah, mm -hmm. let your desire come through me and unite mm -hmm. my individual life, Ara, so not just the earth or some objective earth somewhere, but the earth in me, the earthiness in me, my individualness. Let it unite that with my, at least with my community, with my communal life, and hopefully with much more than that, yeah. with my world, you could say with my surroundings. Hmm. So this dimension again, and this dimension. Hmm. Again, we find this in Avun Dibashmaya, Avun Dibashmaya. So this is repeated here. Second half of the prayer is all about how we live this life, how we live our lives here and now. Hmm. So it mentions bread, lachma, hmm. um, give us just enough lachma, which can also mean food, doesn't have to be wheat bread or any other non-wheat bread or anything like that. So it's, you know, let us have enough food for our body, mind, soul, and spirit. Again, I've, I've just used words that Aramaic wouldn't use because mm -hmm. Aramaic doesn't even have a word for mind. It mm -hmm. only has a word for the heart and the surface of the heart, which is where the thoughts are residing. Mm -hmm. So let us have enough food for body, 
could say for our flesh, for our heart, for our inner life, for our outer life, enough for this illuminated moment that is this yeah. day. Wow. Where are we up to? Forgiveness. Hmm. Yeah, you know, different forms of letting go. Very dense sounds. I won't even unpack these in the Aramaic, but the sounds will tell you. So you hear all this. The Semitic languages are strong in these sounds. It means that the breath is trying to work through something, mm. often trying to release something, trying to enter more deeply. It's like digging. It's like a digging sound. It's a dig. It's a. It's like there's some effort there. Yeah. But you know. And then the forgiveness is not like I forgive first and then everybody, then I get forgiven. No, every, it all happens simultaneously. Mm. As you alluded to earlier, Glenn, past, present, future, these are oh. sort of all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not collapsed exactly, but one can feel them all at the same time. Yeah. And then the, the lines that have caused people the most problems, and this brings us back to a theme I mentioned, uh, the ones translated, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would God lead us into temptation? I forget how Luther goes into this, but it has to do with hardening Pharaoh's heart and yeah. things like that and yada, yada, yada. Well, the Mental Aramaic doesn't actually say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Aramaic actually says, let us not enter temptation. Mm. Mm. And here the word for temptation means forgetfulness. Mm. That's what the word for that's translated as transportation means forgetfulness, meaning forgetfulness of who we are and what we're here to do yeah. and that we are Rucha. We are these big infinite breath souls that are temporarily living in the flesh. Yeah. Don't let us forget that bit, mm. but also set us free from Ela Patsan in Bisha. I didn't give you the Aramaic for the first bit. Uh, that's the don't, don't let us enter forgetfulness. Don't let us enter bisha. Mm. Unripeness. Help mm. us make right decisions at the right time in the right place. From this, from everything that has gone before in the prayer, let us live from there and make proper decisions. Mm. And then there's the dedication, which I know some people think wasn't in the prayer originally, but it's traditional in, in Semitic language prayers to have this sort of dedication. We find Jesus doing a long dedication at the end of the Gospel of John, when after the Lord's after the Last Supper, he turns and he dedicates all of his work, you could say, with his students, with his disciples. So Matthew has this line, Luke doesn't, you know, he may have said one thing one time, one thing another time, doesn't mean he didn't say it. Mm -hmm. So to you belongs, ah, King James. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. To you is this I can, this vision, this empowerment. And the energy, the life energy. Throughout the Gospels, one of the main key words in Hebrew and Aramaic also comes into Arabic in a certain form. That is life energy, life energy here and now and everywhere all the time. It's not just life somewhere else above us in some penthouse we're going to get later the tool de la malkuta you have the yours is the vision that gives us the empowerment to feel this life energy and then so beautiful the word translated as glory also can mean song 
It's a form of Shbuchta. Jesus uses that quite a bit. It's a song that is returning to the singer, the one singer, not me, but the, the one who sang the universe into existence and is singing now. Mm -hmm. So it's in some ways a musical, a beautiful mm -hmm. musical image. It can mean glory. Mm -hmm. It can mean return because it's also, we find it in a certain form in the word for Shabbat or Sabbath, uh, but it, it can also mean song or harmony. So let, a, let all of my actions be part of this song. You could say that, that harmonizes, mm -hmm. harmonizes my own life with the, my life of my surroundings, where I came from before mm -hmm. birth, where I'm going after death. Wow. Amen. Wow. <laughs> so and, and, an amen just wow. means let me live from here. Let me live from this earth, from this ground. Yeah. Wow. And our, our listeners, this is why I said earlier, you can't read this book <laughs> in five minutes. You can't read it slow. You have to rewind this whole bit. That's right. That anyway, just, you that's can a go teaser. through the book line by line. It's, yeah. Or you can go to my website and you mm -hmm. can hear me say the words in Aramaic. You can learn them in about a month, actually. Many okay. people have. Children, okay. too. Yeah. So there's a free, there's a page where you can just click on buttons and you'll hear me saying the lines of the prayer and yeah. wow. all good. There's so much in there that I would love to comment on if we have time. But the thing that jumps out at me is the the piece about lead us not into temptation, because sure. that twist on things that you just shared is really how I've come to understand the gospel in my own personal life. Is it's just that we we forget who we are, and yeah. that the purpose of Jesus is to remind us of who we are. I feel like Jesus is like God's mirror saying this, this right here, if you would just stare at this for a while, you'll remember who you are. And that that's Absolutely. the whole thing is we we go through life, we pick up our baggage, whatever it is, we, we forget who we've been created to be. And then we come across a Jesus figure, we come across Jesus and we remember like, oh yes, this is where I'm supposed to live from. And yeah. I think that what you just brought out in the Aramaic in that prayer is such a beautiful synopsis of what is really at the heart of the gospel. Everything's in the prayer. I mean, this is yeah. why I recommend if people want to start with the Aramaic, uh, learn the prayer yeah. in Aramaic. Yeah. And you don't have to learn my translations or anybody. Just just pray the prayer in Aramaic. It will teach you. Yeah. Uh, getting into Aramaic is more difficult. So, <laughs> well, just go to your website and copy. We'll copy you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, use my words as a as a jumping off point for sure. your own experience. That's why I write all these books. Sure. That's why I bother to do all the scholarly work is to sort yeah. of make excuses to scholars who basically <laughs> need scholarly excuses to look into something more deeply. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're just about out of time, but two really quick questions. Number one. Sure. Um, is there is there even anything out there that is a, a Bible that is from Aramaic to English that might even bring out a smidgen of the little bit of things that you're sharing with us? That's question number one. And then number two, I know you have a website. I think you have a community group, things like that, that I'm sure our listeners would love to maybe be part of if you sure. want to share about that. Sure. In brief, mm -hmm. uh, given what I said earlier, uh, the ancient Semitic languages do not really allow for a literal only one meaning, word-for-word -word translation. Yeah. So literal translation is an oxymoron for the ancient Semitic languages. Mm. When a prophet is speaking, mm. when, a, in a clear, when a person who is collected to God, to the divine, is speaking. Now, mm. it doesn't mean, you know, they couldn't say, you know, go down to the corner and meet me there at, you know, half past the sun, because they didn't have o'clocks at that time. Mm. But 
But when a person like Yeshua, Jesus is speaking, yes, this is always meant to be interpreted in all these different ways. Mm. Uh, some people start with the Bible of George Lamsa, mm. which will correct some things, uh, like this lead us not into temptation part. Lamsa, early Aramaic Christian, came to America in 1940s, 1930s, actually, was funded by then fundamentalists, because mm. fundamentalists at that time wanted to know how Jesus actually spoke. Mm. Um, so you can go with, go for that. Also, my current favorite one-word translation, just a gloss, is that of George Kiraz, K-I-R-A-Z. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go to Gorgias Press, G-O-R-G-I-A-S, Gorgias Press, uh, his Aramaic to English Bible, good one to have if you want to get into this at all. Mm -hmm. But again, remember, there is no one literal translation that's going to give you all these. My that's Western mind wants one. <laughs> right. Doing all this stuff. But yeah, you can go to my website. There's all sorts of stuff to download. There's documents, there's free audios, and yeah, of course. And what is the uh, community about on your website? I spent a little bit of time looking. I think the Awun community. Well, right now it's mostly online, and yep. you know, different people connect when, when I'm online. Uh, you know, during COVID, we, we all sort of, everything moved online, really, basically. Yeah. And yeah. now we're just starting to, you know, join in different different places. But mm -hmm. it's still mostly online. Okay. So you'll have news of where I'm appearing. Uh, there's a group that meets every quarter, I think, mm -hmm. uh, where we meet online. And I offer some things, and then we all do some practice together, like that. Great. Well, I will put all of those things in the show notes. But like I said, we're just about out of time. But thank you so much for taking time for me, for our listeners. Sure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for the work you do. And maybe we can do it again sometime because you have more books. Absolutely. I have more questions. <laughs> just, just shoot me an email. Excellent. <laughs> thank you. 